If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. As we continue on in our study of 1 John, just going to let you know, I do have a water bottle up here. Uh, I had a cold early this week, and sometimes when I talk a lot, my voice tends to go out. So if I take a little break to get some water, that's why. Well, just to give us a little background where we've been the past two weeks, uh, John is writing to believers who have been surrounded by some persecution and a lot of false teaching. Uh, They've been told things like that you can have a saving relationship with God and still live however you want, that once you become a Christian, you're a person who was without sin, so there's no need for repentance, or that once you become a Christian, you no longer, in fact, sin that you are sinless. So in 1 John, John is addressing these false teachings, but the very heart of the letter, John's main desire is that we in the church that he's writing to would know God, that we would have fellowship with the Lord. He has a very pastoral heart and he's helping them know how they can be sure of their salvation. And we know this because at the end of 1 John, In 5.13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of God that you may know you have eternal life. So that's the main thrust of 1 John. But when we get to our passage tonight, 2, 3 through 6, John gives us three tests to help us know if we are in Christ. He gives us an obedience test, and that's what we'll look tonight. That's in verses 3 through 6. Then he goes on to give us a relational test and then a doctrinal test. But tonight together, we'll just look at the obedience test. So let's read 1 John 2, 3 through 6 together. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to come into your presence to worship you. And now as we open your word to study it, we ask that you would illuminate our minds so we can understand it. Would you soften our hearts that we might be molded by your word? And would you give us your spirit in order that you might transform our lives? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, I was um, at a pizza store picking up pizza for my family. And there was a line uh, in front of me. And when the person right in front of me got to the front, to the counter, she gave a $100 bill to give to the store to pay for her pizza, a lot of pizza, actually. And the person at the store took the $100 bill, kind of looked up at it, and then got a pen out and kind of wrote on it to kind of do that, that test. And after she wrote on the test, she kind of looked at the $100 bill and she said, sorry, ma'am, I can't, I can't accept this. And it didn't pass the test, meaning that the $100 bill that she was trying to use, uh, was attempted to use, was counterfeit. The lady was shocked kind of embarrassed, she said, how can that be? How can you tell? And the lady at the store said, well, when I marked on there with this pen, it turned a certain color, meaning that it was counterfeit. And I I can't accept that. 
That was the actual first time I've, I've seen that test happen a lot. That was the first time I've seen it happen before. So when I went home, the first thing I did is I got on Google and was trying to figure out how those pins work and what about counterfeit money uh, was so rampant. And so what I learned that counterfeit money is very sophisticated, organized crime, and it's widespread. And because of that, Counterfeit tests like the pins are needed because to the naked eye, you cannot tell the difference between what is real and what is not. Now, our passage is doing the very same thing as the pin. It's a test helping us to know if we are in Christ or not. Helping us to know if we have a relationship with the Lord. Look at verse 3. It says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if, and then it goes on. Just like the church he's speaking to with all kinds of churches that we have, religion, denomination, Facebook posts, and theories out there, there's a lot of false teachings of what it means to have a relationship with God today. And, but we need to ask ourselves the question, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about how we can know that we really have a relationship with the living God? How do we really know that we have a saving relationship have a, have a really have a fellowship knowledge of the living God. Doesn't just know things about him, but really knows him. It's in a relationship with the Lord. That's the question that John is answering for us tonight. So let's look at the positive signs um, of that. In our obedience test, John gives us positive signs of obedience. And that will tell us where our salvation lies. But he also gives us negative signs. So let's, let's first look at the positive signs. In verse three, it says, and by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The word commandments here is the law. We can, we can see it as the law in the Old Testament, but also it kind of refers to Jesus' commandments that he uses a lot in John 14 and 15. So love the Lord your God and love your neighbor, right? So we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. That's one of the positive signs. But verse five, we see another one. It says, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. So there's another way of saying keeping his commandments, but he takes it a little bit further. And he says that obedience to God's scripture is another positive sign that we might know the Lord. Another one is in verse six, the third one says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. This can be positive or negative. So we're looking on the negative side as well. So John is saying that as a believer, your life will start to look more like Christ. We see that in second Corinthians three. So the other positive sign is that you know, the Lord is that you start to model your life to look like Christ. So what's interesting here is that this isn't just John's thoughts. Now he is an apostle and if it was his thoughts, we would take it for sure. But he's an apostle and he's actually heard from Jesus and he's clearly taking this, this test for us he's from the exact conversation that he had with Jesus in John 14 and 15. We can see that if you look at John 14, 15, it says, Jesus said, if you love me, you will take, you will keep my commandments. In John 14, 23, Jesus answered him and said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father's love 
will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. And in John 15, 5, says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So this is coming directly from Jesus as well. And this is part of the obedience test. One sign that you know that you have a relationship with God is the way you live your life. It says, by this, we have come to know him if we obey his commands, by keeping his word, by walking in the same way in which Jesus lived. So what this is saying is one way or another, the conduct of your life directly points to your salvation. Now, having said that, it's important to notice a couple of things. First, we do not earn our own salvation by being obedient to his commandments. Barton talked about this this morning. We do not earn our salvation by keeping his commands. It's extremely important. The Bible does not teach that. We cannot earn our own salvation. It would take perfection and there's no way we can perform perfectively. We are saved by faith alone, through grace alone, and through Christ alone. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. John is not saying you can earn your salvation by obedience. So please do not hear that. That would crush all of us, right? Second thing that's important to know is this. Once we've obtained salvation through faith and repentance, we did not retain our salvation or keep our salvation by following his commandments. We don't keep our salvation or retain our salvation by following his commandments. Our obedience doesn't keep us in good standing with God's eyes, right? I have a friend whose son plays competitive soccer as well, and he just tried out for this really good team. And they said, okay, you made the team. However, you're going to have to keep on training. And if you don't perform well, you're not going to be on the team. You got to keep on playing well in order to be on this team. I was like, that's, I mean, it's kind of like, yes, you made it, but you might not be on tomorrow. That's kind of a hard thing to say to a young little kid. And that's not the way Christ sees it as well. Our obedience does not keep it in. Our performance does not keep us in Christ. The way he views us is how he views Christ. Our record is, is Christ's record now. He has taken our record away. He's given us Christ's perfect record. So we cannot lose our salvation or come out of God's good standing by our, by our obedience to his commandments. Thirdly, but what is critical for us to know here is what the Bible says is that the fruit of our salvation, knowing God, is obedience. Obedience is the fruit of our salvation. Obedience is the evidence of God's working inside our soul. Our conduct, the way we live our life, is a byproduct of what the Lord is doing inside our soul. Ligon Duncan said this, John is not teaching salvation by obedience, nor is he teaching assurance by obedience, but John is teaching that salvation is evidenced by obedience, and in turn, that obedience contributes to our assurance of our own salvation. The reason that our obedience is the fruit of our salvation is because of our relationship with him. That says, we know that we know him. Koinonia is an active relationship 
a deep, intimate relationship. And when we have that, we respond in love by living in obedience. Lastly, this is important for us to know, is that this is not talking about perfect obedience. We are still sinful. As Christians on this side of eternity, we are still sinful. Paul, the, the apostle, the greatest church planter ever, called himself the chief of sinners. So if he's the chief of sinners, we're all chief of sinners. So more of chief of sinners, right? We will fail every day. That's why he addressed repentance and grace last week in 1 John, in the beginning of second, uh, 1 John 2. But what John is talking about here is not perfect obedience, but a general direction of your life. The general practice of your life. The aim in life is obedience to Jesus' commands. You will fall short of it, but your aim is obedience to his commands. His commands become the priority in your life. His word becomes the love of your life. And and it becomes the model of your life. And it all becomes a priority in your life. Now, <clears throat> some of you know we have turned, uh, my family has turned into a soccer family. And uh, a little while ago, I was watching a Liverpool Soccer Club documentary. And, uh, and I find Liverpool fans very intriguing. Uh, one, Liverpool is in Liverpool, England, right? But they don't call themselves, Liverpool fans do not call themselves English. They call themselves scouts. And because of that, they sometimes boo the English national anthem. Even though some of their players play on the England national team. They're kind of crazy, uh, very rambunctious people. And they have a very unique um, scouse accent. They have their own vocabulary among their soccer fans. At games, they either wear a red uniform or some official Liverpool shirt, or they dress to the nines. And wherever else they go, they dress to the nines. They are fiercely loyal to their soccer club, even to the point over everything else. They would say that soccer fans of Liverpool are their primary family and their blood family, if they're not Liverpool fans, are secondary in their life. But as I was watching this documentary, one of the person, people in there said it this way. He says, you can pick out a Liverpool fan a mile away. They exude love and loyalty to Liverpool. And if they don't, they're probably not Liverpool fans. They, they exude love and loyalty to Liverpool. It's a, it's a religion they have. You don't have to do all these things to become a Liverpool fan. <laughs> But if you really do love Liverpool the way they do, all these things start to overflow into your life. You know, one of them is they like to push each other in the stands. They're like, I don't know why, but when I get here, I just like pushing people. It's it's wild. But this is exactly what John is saying. When we have an active relationship with the Lord of the universe, when we love him, we will desire to follow his commands. We start to love his word and our, we model our life after his. And hopefully someone can pick us out a mile away as a follower of Christ. Why? Look at the way he lives his life. This is what John's talking about. Now, before we go on to our negative statement of the test, let's take a small break 
and do the obedience test. The pen, let's swipe it over your life. Is the general aim of your life walking in obedience to God's commands? Is the general practice of your life loving and keeping God's word? Is your life generally looking more like Jesus every day? And maybe as you think through it, as you swipe it over, maybe you realize you don't know the Lord. Maybe you thought you did, but as you look at your life and you look at what Scripture says and what Jesus says, you're like, oh, maybe I don't. And maybe tonight would be a great night to come to know him. And if that's your position, that's where you are tonight, you can ask someone who brought you or come talk to me or, or Philip or any of the elders that will be down here at the front afterwards. We'd love to talk to you with you. It would be an honor. And there are probably other believers here today who are wrestling with a lack of assurance because of their failures or sin in their lives. And what John's saying is, I'm not asking for perfect obedience to God's word. But what I am asking you is I'm asking you to look at your heart and answer the question, do you long to obey God's word? Do you long to love him? And if the answer is yes, great. And then the rest of the book is going to be for you, right? But if it's no, then let's go. Let's, let's talk about it some more. Or maybe you're like me, and I'll be honest, the studying this te- text this week has brought me to repentance almost every day. I'm joy in the fact that I see signs of obedience, but having found myself praying, Lord, please forgive me. I, I want to obey your words. I want to Oh, love your word. I want to hunger for it every day. I want to want my life to look like yours. I need your grace and I need your help. That's a, I think that's a good place for all of us to be. Wherever you are, the Lord is eagle, eager to meet you there. That's the positive sign. Let's look at the negative signs. Look at verse four. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. That's the first one. And in verse six says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If you look at that in the original Greek, that is a negative statement. You see, here is the negative side of the truth that we just looked at in verse one. John is saying, if you claim to know God, but your life is not changed by knowing him, that is a certain sign that you do not know the Lord. That's a hard statement to say. But it is true. Ligon Duncan, one of my professors, RTS, um, in one of my classes, he kind of explained it this way and I was blown away. Think about this. He doesn't say that the problem is that you're only caught up with the truth, that you've got all this head knowledge, but you don't have heart knowledge. You've probably heard that before. John doesn't say that. I find it interesting that he says there in verse 4, this The one who says, I know God, but doesn't live that way, the truth is not in him. He doesn't say he has truth, but he hasn't put it into practice. Or he doesn't say he has head knowledge, but he doesn't have heart knowledge. He says he has no truth because the truth of God turns your world upside down. Once you have that truth that fills you with a rapture of love for the living God, it changes everything. 
The truth leads you to love. It always leads to obedience. It always leads to a transformed life. And so when that transformed life is not there, then you can be certain that the person has never had the truth. He's never met God. He's never met the Lord Jesus Christ who, who is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no knowledge of God that does not lead to keeping his commandments. Truth, grace, always reigns in righteousness, Paul says in Romans 5. Grace, salvation, always leads to obedience in Ephesians 2. Justification is always accompanied by sanctification in Romans 8. Faith always shows itself in works in James 2. Those are just different biblical ways that what John is stressing here in 1 John 2, 3 and 4. So what we can learn is that truth always expresses itself in action. Faith, trust, and real knowledge of God are always expressed in action, especially in the action of obeying God's commands. And so we know we do not know God if we do not keep his commandments. And if we don't, by grace, just do that. So this is wrapped up in my story, this, this negative story part of the statement. When I was in college, my freshman year, uh, there was a guy, uh, a college minister who liked to hang out on the college campus and he liked to uh, talk to a lot of my friends. And uh, I kind of enjoyed him because he always was like, hey, you want to go out to eat? And I was like, sure, if you're buying, we're, we're going out to eat. And I didn't mind talking about spiritual things. I kind of grew up in a, uh, I did grow up in a church household. And, uh, and so he would always take us out to eat, buy his buffalo wild wings, talk about some spiritual things, and no strings attached, right? And, uh, and so as we were talking, uh, he would ask us questions like, hey, why do you, are, are you a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? And how do you know you're a Christian? And I would kind of tell him the church answers that I had grown up with. And when it got to how do I know a Christian, I would say things like, you know, like, I grew up in church. My parents are believers. You know, um, I'm pretty moral, and I'm I'm not against anything the church says. Right? You know, that's the that's my assurance of salvation. And he said, "Brett, can I kind of show you a diagram?" And I was like, "Sure." And he drew a, a picture of a tree. I think I've probably shared this in a couple of different contexts. But he drew a picture of a tree, and he said, "Brett, these are oranges on this tree." He said, I think that you might be an orange tree calling yourself an apple tree. And I was like, that's interesting. Continue on. And uh, he said, you have the fruit of a non-Christian all over your life, but you're calling yourself a Christian. And I was like, oh, wow. Interesting. I was like, tell me, like, what's the fruit of a non-Christian? What's the fruit of a Christian? And it was just like this text, you know. You like to live for yourself and to, to uh, not, you, you want to do your own thing, you know. You like to drink and you like to do all these other things. And a Christian life loves to obey God's commands, loves his word, loves, you know, going to church and, and learning about him, loves to model his life after Christ. And I was like, oh, Wow. And so then he started to explain, he's like, what happens when you come to Christ, the Holy Spirit starts to live inside of you. It's kind of like a seed and he starts to grow and the, your oranges start to turn into apples. 
And your, your, the non-Christian fruit starts to turn into to Christian fruit. And I was like, okay. And so in the midst of that relationship over multiple months, what happened was he helped me understand that I probably wasn't a Christian, even though I thought I was, because my life looked nothing like it. And he helped me see when he saw my sin in my life, the gospel became beautiful to me. And I saw the grace of God. And I I came to Christ my freshman year. And as I started to grow in my relationship with God, my friends started to think I was turning weird. Because instead of wanting to go out on Friday night, I wanted to stay in sometimes and, and read my Bible. Or instead of wanting to hang out with certain friends, I wanted to hang out with my Christian friends because they encouraged me in my walk with God. And I noticed these other people, I was always discouraged in my walk with God. And I didn't want to relate to a certain group of women in, a, in an unhealthy way, but I wanted to interact with them in a, in a, a healthy way. And my friend's like, Brad, I think you're turning weird, you know. But what was happening was, man, the fruit of the Spirit was starting to come out in my life. The Holy Spirit was growing, turning my oranges into apples. And this is what it's talking about here. If the, the fruit, the evidence of a Christian is obeying God's commands, loving his word, and modeling his life after him, that wasn't there before that. As we wrap up, I want to take us back to the, the pizza place. I want to finish the story. Um, this shocked me, because um, the lady was kind of shocked by having been found out. I don't know if it was, she even knew. Maybe she did. Maybe she didn't. I was confused what was going to happen. Honestly, I was like, you know, that I keep the hundred dollar bill. What if it's really a hundred dollar bill and this lady just lost her hundred dollars or are they going to call the cops? I was confused in what was happening. I could tell the lady in front of me was pretty shocked and scared as well. But what happened next shocked me. The lady at the counter said, Ma'am, here's what I'll do. I'm going to give you this pizza for free. And it's like five pizzas. And I was like, shoot, can I have that in our bill? I'll exchange it real quick. But she said, I'm going to give you this pizza for free. If you want to come back and, you know, if you have a different $100 bill or work, come back and give it to us. But if not, that's okay too. And I thought to myself, that's an amazing amount of grace that she just showed that woman. In the midst of her being caught Maybe in her sin, very embarrassed for sure, she showered this lady with grace. And that's exactly what the Lord does to us. Maybe tonight you are caught in your sin, the light on you, and you feel it. But the Lord is there to grant you his grace. That's what he does. He showers us with his grace, grace over grace each time. And that's what this table gives us tonight. It's a a demonstration of God's grace and love in our lives. And when you come forward, you get to see the body and blood of Jesus shed for you and what that means for you. And maybe tonight, this is not your faith. And in a minute, I'm going to say this very exact thing, but we still invite you to come. But instead of partaking of the elements, why don't you just look with your own eyes? And if you want to touch it, touch it. 
we ask that you don't partake of it, but see the body and the blood of Jesus shed for you. We pray tonight that this might be the night that you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and, and how you direct our hearts and souls and you shepherd us. And Father, we pray that we would have hearts that love you and want to follow your commands and who love your word and who want to model our lives after you. And Father, I pray that you would give us desire for that. Would you soften our hearts towards it? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.